We discussed a couple of Mishnahs ago, somebody who stole land, and after stealing it, something happened out of his control, which he couldn't have stopped, which caused the land to be lost, or to be damaged in some way. And the law is that if it was out of his control, and it would have happened anyway, even had he not stolen the land, he is not obligated to pay the owner for that land, since it would have happened anyway. And when it comes to stealing land, the land can never really be stolen properly because the ownership cannot be transferred to the thief. Now that's regarding land. However, regarding regular movable items that can be stolen properly, meaning when someone takes such an item, when he steals such an item, the ownership is transferred to that thief somewhat. So then even if something happens to it, which would have happened anyway, he is liable to pay for the item to the owner because he has a mitzvah of returning the the, the stolen item. It could be it was totally out of his control what happened. But he needs to fulfill his mitzvah of the Heshavis Agazela, giving back the stolen item or its value. So it doesn't matter how it happened, he would need to pay the owner for the item. So that is the focus of this Mishnah, and also really to tell us when it's considered to be that he has fulfilled his mitzvah of the Heshavis Agazela, of returning the stolen item, such that if hap- something happens after that, he would no longer be liable to pay for the, for the item. So the Mishnah says, I'm going to have Eder, one who steals a sheep from a flock. Let's say Shimon has lots of sheep, and Reuven steals one of the sheep. Now we're going to read this Mishnah and translate it and explain it according to the conclusion of the Gemara, even though this is not the simple understanding of the Mishnah. So Reuven stole a sheep from Shimon's flock, the Chaziroi, and he returned the sheep. And after he returned the sheep, the sheep either died or was stolen by somebody else. Says the Mishnah, the thief is liable to replace the sheep. Reuven would have to pay Shimon for the sheep, since he has not yet fulfilled his mitzvah of the Heshavis Agzela of returning the stolen item. So he is still fully responsible for what happens to it. And why is that? Because we're discussing a case where the owner didn't know nor about the stealing nor about the returning of the animal. He had no idea what happened until now. And that is a reason why the thief is liable for what happened. Why, why is that a reason? Because once a sheep leaves its flock of sheep and is taken to a different place by itself, and then it's returned to its original place, that sheep will now have a tendency to leave its flock and to leave the owner's field. And it's more likely to go out and graze in other people's fields. And as such, the owner of that animal will need to guard his sheep more than he would have had to until now. And because of that, it's not considered to be that he fulfills his mitzvah of returning the stolen item, unless the owner knows about this fact that he has to guard the animal better now. If he doesn't know about that yet, and the thief is still the one who is responsible for what happens to it, especially since we're talking about a case where, for example, it was stolen, it's more likely to be stolen once it has left the flock, because this sheep now has a tendency to leave the flock and go by itself, which would make it easier to be stolen. Now, on the other hand, and now we sort of have to add in a phrase to the Mishnah, if the owner did know that the animal was stolen, and as well as that, after you returned the item, after Ruvain, returned the sheep, even though Shimon didn't know, he didn't see him return it, but he counted his sheep, and the number was full. 
it was complete. So he realized that the animal had been returned. So then it is considered to be that he has fulfilled his mitzvah of Zagzela. And therefore, if something happens later on, like the animal dying or being stolen, Potter, Ruven will be exempt from replacing the animal for Shimon, since it is now Shimon's item, and Ruven has nothing to do with it anymore because he has returned it to its owner, Shimon. Mishnah test. The Mishnah's subject is being careful not to buy stolen goods. In Leichman HaRoyim, one is forbidden to buy from shepherds who are shepherding other people's sheep. The owner would have lots of sheep and he would appoint shepherds to look after them. So one is forbidden to buy from those shepherds semer, wool, v'cholov, or milk, ugdoyim, or goats, because it is assumed that they belong to the owner, not to the shepherd. And the shepherd hasn't got a right to sell it, so you would be buying it stolen. The Lomishamapeyres, nor may one buy from people who are guarding over fruit or produce of somebody else. For example, they're watching over the field. It's forbidden to buy from them eitzim, wood, upeyres, or produce. Since again, it's pretty obvious that it doesn't actually belong to them and it belongs to the owner, and that they haven't got the right to sell it. However, one may buy from women, kleitzemer b'yehuda. Items made out of wool, clothing made out of wool in the area of Yehuda. It was the custom of women in that area to make woolen clothing, or chlepishton bagolil, or linen clothing in an area called golil, bagolim, or, or you can buy young calves, baby cows, in the area called shorin, because the custom and the general practice in those areas was for these women to make these pieces of clothing, or to raise these animals, and to sell them. And their husbands, we assume, know about it. Because that was the general practice, and therefore, even though these would belong to their to the woman's husband, anything which a woman makes belongs to her husband. But it was assumed that the husband knows about it, and that this is not considered to be that the woman is stealing from her husband. However, that having been said, all of these women, if they tell the buyer to hide it and to not publicize the fact that he bought it from them. So then also, then it's forbidden to buy it from her because now it's pretty obvious that she hasn't got permission to sell it and that it is actually stolen. That her husband does not allow her to sell it. Alright, and one may buy eggs or chickens from any place or from any person and it is not assumed that they have been stolen. However, even in this case, if the person selling it says that you should hide it, again it will be forbidden since now it is quite obvious that they haven't got permission to sell it and that it is actually stolen. The strands of wool, which a person who is washing the wool takes out, meaning when something made out of wool is washed, often a few strands of the wool end up, end up becoming detached and they come off the item itself. So if it's just the small pieces of wool, then the person washing the wool is able to keep those strands of wool because the owner is not particular about that at all and it is assumed that he relinquishes his ownership of those strands and he allows the washer to take it. However, the Shehasoyrik might see that which a coma of the wool that takes out of the wool. The wool which comes out when somebody combs the wool, those belong to the owner of the wool and not to the person who is appointed to comb the wool since he ends up taking off a lot more wool and so the owner doesn't want to just allow him to keep it, rather the owner wants that wool for himself. Alright, a person washing an item of clothing for the first time, meaning the owner bought the item of clothing new, 
and I gives it to somebody to wash for the first time. So that person can take three threads, and they would belong to him. Because what was generally done is that when they would make clothing, they would add in three threads at the edge of the piece of clothing, threads of a different material, not the actual, not the material which the piece of clothing was made out of. And then when somebody would buy it and they would send it to be washed, so the person washing it would also take out these three threads. And since that was the general practice, the general thing which was done, so it was accepted and understood that the person who is washing it and taking out those three threads would be able to keep those three threads. However, Yossi McCain, if the person washing it took more than those three threads, so then they would all, all of the threads would belong to the owner of the piece of clothing, because now we understand that he is particular and he wants to keep those threads. If he knows that you're going to take more, so he wants to keep all of it now. So the person washing it would actually not be able to keep any of it. However, that having been said, if it was black threads which were sewed near the edge of a white piece of clothing, so then then the person washing it can take all of those threads and they would belong to him, because that certainly doesn't look very nice with the threads on it, so it's certainly assumed that the person washing it is going to take the threads off, and it's viewed as sort of an improvement to the gut, to the piece of clothing, and that you're taking something off which damages and makes the clothing not look nice. And so in such a case, the owner is not interested in keeping it, he's just interested in his piece of clothing looking presentable, and therefore the person who is washing and taking the threads out of the piece of clothing may keep those pieces of thread even if they are more than three. Alright, next, hachayot, a person who sews, who was given thread in order to sew into a garment or something. Shashir minachot, he had left over from the thread which the person gave him in order for him to make into a piece of clothing, for example. And he's left with enough thread, that he would be able to sew something else. So it's not such a large amount of thread. The Gemara explains that it's double the length of the sewing needle. Or if he was, let's say, given material to use and to make into a piece of clothing, and he's left with umatlis, a small piece of material, which is at least three by three finger breadths, the width of a finger, it's three by three, so again, that's also considered a significant enough size of material that Harelush Balabayes, the thread or the piece of material, would belong to the owner who gave him that thread or material in order to make into a piece of clothing. Since there's a significant amount left, so it's assumed that the owner wants to keep it, and therefore the person sewing it or making this piece of clothing would need to give back that to the owner. Alright, now finally, that which a carpenter working with wood, so the wood which he takes off the wood which he's working on with a matzod. A matzod is some sort of tool which smoothens the wood. So the wood which comes off is very small pieces, not even really significant pieces. And therefore, certainly, the carpenter can keep that part of the wood because the owner of the wood is certainly not particular about that. But the wood which he takes off with an axe, those chips of wood would be larger. And therefore, they would belong to the owner of the wood because we assume that he is particular about that part. That having been said, says the Mishnah, if he was working with the wood at the owner of the wood's house, that's where he was working, so then Then even the sawdust, the tiniest pieces of wood, even that would belong to the owner since he's doing it in his house, so there the assumption is that he doesn't want the carpenter to take any of it, 
So in such a case, all of it would belong to the owner of the wood. We mentioned at the beginning of the previous Masechta that the first three Masechtas in Seder Nazikin, Bava Kam, Bava Metziah, and Bava Basra, were originally really one Masechta called Masechus Nazikin, which discusses many different monetary laws such as damages and stealing, like in Bava Kama, and the focus of Bava Metziah are other monetary laws to do with business. And the first two Prokham of the Masechta, for the most part, discuss the laws of finding a lost item and what to do with it. And throughout the Masechta, we'll see different claims which might come up in Bastin. And the focus of the first Mishnah of the Perak of the Masechta is when two people come to Bastin claiming that they own something. And we're talking specifically about a case where the two claims which they make contradict each other but it's not necessarily true that one of them is intending to lie. It could be that each one really thinks that he is correct in his claim. Well, what would the case be? So, Shnaim Ochsen Batalis. The Mishnah paints a scenario of two people who are holding on to a cloak, and the Gemara explains that they're holding on to the edges, only right, right on the edge of the cloak. They're not holding it on to any significant part of the cloak. Because if they were, then the law would be that whichever part they're holding onto, they would, eat, they would take that part. And the rest of it, in between there, they would split. We're talking about a case where they're only holding onto right on the edge of the cloak. And this one claims that I found it, meaning it was a cloak which was ownerless until now. And it was lying in the street. And the other one also says that I found it. Each one claims that he found it first and that he picked it up first. But it's not necessarily true that one of them is lying, because it could be that they picked it up together at the same time. Just that each one thinks that he really picked it up first, and maybe the other guy grabbed onto it a second later. Or in a similar scenario, where somebody sold something and he intended to sell it to, let's say, Ruvain, and Ruvain gave him money for it, but somebody else, Shimon, also gave the seller money for that item, even though he wasn't intending to sell it to him. But once they both gave him money, then the seller wasn't sure who he actually intended to sell it to in the end. So the seller isn't sure who he intended to sell it to, and they both gave him money for it. Each one says that it all belongs to me, because I was the one buying it, and the seller intended to sell it to me, but it's a doubt. So this is another scenario where they're both claiming a claim which contradicts the other person's claim, but they're not necessarily intending to lie. They genuinely think that they are correct. Says the Mishnah, This one needs to swear in the base then that he is not entitled to any less than half of it. And the other one should also swear that he is not entitled to any less than half of it. And then they should split the cloak in half. Now, why is this the case? Surely they're both claiming all of it. It might be that the law should be that they should split it, but why are they swearing about half of it? They should swear about their claim. The answer is, if they were both to swear that it all belongs to them, then certainly one of the oaths is going to be false. It could be not intentionally, but one of the oaths is certainly going to be false. And it's quite a disgrace in the base then for it to be clear that somebody is making a false oath. Swearing in Basin is a very severe and serious matter. One uses Hashem's name, and so they need to do it in a way that it's not obvious and clear that one of them is making a false oath. And they don't swear that they're entitled to half of it, because it could really be that they're entitled to the entire thing. So they swear that they're not entitled to any less than half. 
And this type of shavuah was enacted by the Rabbonon, by the Chachomim, because they were concerned that anybody might come and grab onto somebody else's item, and they'll come to Basin and claim that they're entitled to part of it. And so the Chachomim said that they should make a shavuah, they should make an oath, and people were very concerned that they wouldn't make a false oath. So this would make sure people wouldn't make such a story up. Now what happens if Zayma Kulashali, one of them will call him Ruvain, claims that the entire item is mine. For example, he claims that I lifted up the cloak by myself. The Zayma Chetzyashali, and the other person will call him Shimon, he claims that half of it is entitled to me. Because, for example, we both lifted it up at the same time. So how should this be split? So if you think about it, regarding half of the cloak, they both agree that it belongs to one of them. They're only arguing about the second half. And therefore the second half is split in between them two. So it would emerge that one of them would receive three quarters and one would receive a quarter. So the one who claims that it's all his should swear that he is entitled to no less than three quarters. And the one who claims that half of it is his should swear that he is entitled to no less than a quarter. And then this one should take three quarters of the cloak and the other one should take a quarter of the cloak and of course it doesn't mean the actual cloak it would mean they would sell the cloak and then he would take three quarters of the value and he would take one quarter of the value of the cloak